This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. We are broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Hello, welcome to the program. My name is Spumele Lezondi. We are on 9625 kilohertz, that is on the 31 meter band, if you are in Southern Africa. This hour, I'm with Joala Netulo, Wissane Matebula, and Musibudi Makura. Your top stories. South Africa's president breaks his silence as it seems a foregone conclusion that he will be removed through parliamentary processes. Members of US Congress are likely to discuss nuclear weapons at a hearing later today. In economics, Zambia's cabinet plans to restructure the country's loans from China. And in sports, India's first ever one-day international series victory in South Africa lays a strong platform for the country's hopes of a successful 2019 World Cup campaign. Jola Netulo has news. Thank you, Spumalele. Good afternoon. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma is adamant that the ruling ANC National Executive Committee has not provided any reason for him to step down. He was speaking in an exclusive interview with the state broadcaster, the SABC, in the capital, Pretoria. Since electing a new leader, the ANC has been asking Zuma to step down, a decision which he refused to accede to. But after failing to heed the call, the party's caucus in Parliament has hinted a, mono, a, no, a rather emotional of no confidence in him scheduled for Thursday. Zuma says he needs reasons for his recall. I need to be finished on what I've done. No one has been able to provide what is it that I've done. And I found it unfair to me that this issue must be raised all the time. I would have imagined for an example the top six would say look these are the areas or these are the things the movement is not happy about and therefore it has finally taken this decision. At the discussion in the NEC, nobody has ever provided the, the reasons. Nobody is saying, what have I done? Meanwhile, Zuma has dismissed suggestions that there is a problem of the two centers of power in the ANC. About a few years back, one province, Northwest, raised this matter. Why can't we discuss the aligning of the national elections and the conference of the ANC that elected the president. Nobody wanted to discuss that because it was not an issue. And the other problem I had, when we go to the conference, there are issues if they need constitutional amendment, whatever, that are discussed. Even if they did not go there, at the conference, these matters, if they are matters that need to be discussed, they have to be raised. And this matter did not appear on the agenda. Meanwhile, the motion of no confidence in President Zuma, the election of a new president and the State of the Nation address will all take place in the next two days. This is the unanimous agreement of the National Assembly's program committee, which met this afternoon. ANC Chief Whip Jackson Mtembu explains how the events will unfold after the president has been removed through a motion of no confidence on Thursday afternoon. In the program, we are proposing that on Friday morning we have two sessions, basically. We have a morning session that uh, elects the president. Again, that is premised on the availability of the chief justice or any person designated by the chief justice. So, that, yes, indeed, we, we have, we'll have, basically we'll have two sessions. One session to elect on Friday, another session in the evening, SONA, the State of the Nation Address. Local authorities in Tonga, a small but strategic South Sudanese town, says no fighting has been reported since the signing of the cessation of hostilities agreement between warring factions. They say many civilians who had fled are returning home. Tonga is currently under the control of opposition groups. And finally, the United Nations says the first aid convoy for three months has entered a besieged rebel-held enclave in Syria on the outskirts of Damascus. The district of the East Gota has been under siege by pro-government forces since 2013, the BBC's Sebastian Usher has the details. 
The last aid convoy to get into East Ghouta was in late November last year. Such convoys have only rarely been able to enter the rebel enclave in the past few years. Some 400,000 people remain in the area, which has often come under sustained land and air bombardment from pro-government forces. That has only intensified in recent months, despite Eastern Ghouta having been classified as a de-escalation zone by Russia, Iran and Turkey. There are desperate shortages of food and medical supplies. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you very much, Olane. It is 17.05 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumela Lezondi, and I am going to be with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. Let's get to our lead story, which says South African President Jacob Zuma has defiantly told his party, the African National Congress, that he has a problem with them asking him to step down. The party's caucus in Parliament said they would support the Economic Freedom Fighters' motion of no confidence, which is set to be debated tomorrow in the National Assembly. To talk to us more on this, we are joined on the line by Professor Sumato Dafigin. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, Professor Dafigin. Thank you for inviting me. Mm. Now, uh, Professor, what do you make of Zuma's defined interview? Well, I do think that it's typical of him that he shifts the blame in every direction, takes no accountability, and sometimes he might have been hoping to stoke some sympathy for his position. And uh, also, he is going to the extent of embarrassing his party something that I think his party will not appreciate as they go for the motion of no confidence tomorrow. Mm. Um, and uh, the ANC, um, I cannot now make its own motion, um, uh, uh, propose its own motion because the EFF um, has a motion already in Parliament. Um, is there anything that they can do in order for the ANC to sort of in a way save face here? They have indicated that they have negotiated with the EFF to amend the motion so that they join the EFF in that motion. But the substance is still the same to get Jacob Zuma out of the presidency. Um, Is there anything that the president can do in order to stop this from going ahead tomorrow? He has a statement to the nation this evening. I'm almost certain that many things will happen between uh, the time he gave the interview in the afternoon and in the evening. So if they persuade him, then he could make that statement, express his grievance, but step down. But if not, then the parliamentary process will go ahead. And this is more or less like a replay of Zimbabwe's situation, because this is a fait accompli. There is nothing that is going to stop parliament or ANC taking down President Zuma. So legally, nothing can stop the ANC um, or um, or Parliament um, because uh, the public has been coming up with all kinds of options that can happen. Um, reshuffle probably can't help. Um, can he dissolve Parliament? Um, is there anything that he can actually do? Nothing at all. He has exhausted all the options now. And now that he's no longer the head of the ruling party, And now that the ruling party has already taken a decision which has a precedent when they actually recall the Tabumbegi, there is absolutely no room for maneuver. Uh, Do you think that he has a case when he says that um, the ANC kept on moving the uh, the goalpost and they kept on changing um, their reasoning and they kept on um, agreeing on things and then they would renege on what they would have agreed on? Um, uh, Do you think that uh, perhaps um, the president could uh, could feel that the ANC probably did not um, act in a trustworthy manner in how they were discussing this with him in the last um, almost two weeks now? Well, I doubt. It's just that uh, President Jacob Zuma seemed to have his universe of logic to start with the fact that he doesn't remember anything wrong that he has done when his party tried to defend him, when constitutional court, when the public was marching, raising one issue after the other, that he doesn't take any responsibility 
is actually something very close to being delusional, in a sense, because he knows the political reasons. And he knows that not long ago he has been contradicting the ANC itself, which makes two centers of power an uncomfortable space. He has been accused of trying to influence the appointment of the director of prosecution when he is himself going to be subjected to that process. He has been accused of intending to impose a nuclear deal which the country said they cannot afford, it cannot afford. All those are valid reasons, but because of their sensitivity, I doubt they would be able to simply say this is what is happening. Mm. And um, do you think that um, the African National Congress um, might reach some kind of negotiation so maybe he isn't prosecuted after um, he has stepped down? There is no way because our constitutional democracy doesn't provide for immunity. And besides, this process is no longer in the hands of the political party or government. Now it is in the hands of the judiciary. And the only thing they can exercise is to say once you've gone through the process, once you've been found guilty, one option remaining is a presidential pardon. Um, initially, um, there was a press briefing that um, had been said that was supposed to take place in the morning. And then um, in the early hours of the morning, there was a, um, a raid um, in the Gupta home. Uh, do you think that had anything to do with uh, the president changing his mind from a press briefing to giving a one-on-one interview with uh, an SABC journalist? I doubt, but in his mind, though, he has always been thinking that there is one conspiracy after the other. Understandably so. If his entire life has been in military operations, intelligence, he would understand that everyone is potentially an enemy. So to that extent, he might make the coinage, but we've seen this raid. Yes, it is true that the new political environment the new leadership rhetoric of fighting corruption might have energized those professionals within the law enforcement agencies to do what they ought to have been doing many years ago. Mm. You seem to suggest that it's a foregone conclusion that President um, Jacob Zuma will definitely be removed from uh, power tomorrow. Um, What is his future then? His future is the one of going in and out of courts because he has legal challenges, going through a humiliating process of the investigation of corruption and state capture, where he is presented as a central player together with his family and friends. So that is his immediate future. The long-term future might just be the one of a very bitter, isolated person. All right, sure. Thank you very much. That is uh, Professor Soma Dutafigin, who is a South African political analyst. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. For the people of South Africa and the world, This is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating a hundred years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective.
It is 17.14 Central African time. You're still listening to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa. Find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One. Give us your views on our top story. And staying with that story, in what has been seen as a bizarre broadcast, South African President Jacob Zuma has defiantly said he didn't agree to resign from his post. In an exclusive and widely syndicated interview with SABC reporter Mzwandi Lembeche, Zuma says he has done nothing wrong. The Southern African nation has been plunged into a state of confusion since last week following the postponement of the traditional state of the national address. He says he has told the NEC that he has a problem with stepping down. He also said that he feels he is being victimized. Power. And that's not a reason because there are no two centers of power. And I helped the Congress to, to remember that when we used that phrase it was during the time we were going to Bulugwane National Conference of the ANC, because the president of <clears throat> state president at that time, who was contesting to be the president of the ANC for the third term, <clears throat> that was he was saying he must be the president, and in the next five years, that would have meant the new president of the state. There will be two presidents for the period of five years. That's when we said that creates two centers of power. That's what we are referring to. So what these who have been talking now, we don't want two centers of power. I don't think they understand exactly what they are talking about. That's what we are talking about. This time there are no two centers of power. It's a period, very short, 18 months as I say, we're in. The other one is finishing a five-year period which is determined by the constitution of this country. It's a very clear kind of thing. So if you say that period where the one is finishing his uh, five years is, is two centers of power, I mean it's very immature politics of analyzing. So this I explained as well, so that everybody should be very clear that there is nothing that you can say is a problem. There's no problem. This has been done. There has never been a problem. You will recall that when Madiba uh, finished in the conference in Mafike and Comrade Mbegi became the president of the ANC. Matiba continued as the president of the state. And Mbegi was now working, strengthening the organization for elections. This was discussed in the ANC, seen as a necessary thing, how this must be, must be done. If the ANC wanted an alignment then, this would have been done. And I made all of these points to the comrades that what happened, once that happened, when, when then Madiba finishes, Begi wins elections, there was a handover at the inauguration. Everybody will remember this. There was no crisis. Does that mean the leadership then, the leadership then, was not seeing things correctly? The ANC has always seen things correctly. When the ANC conference came when Beggy was now had finished his two terms in the ANC. Another president came in called Zuma, who became the president of the ANC whilst President Beggy was the state president. He was there for 18 months. Of course, the NEC <coughs> decided to recall uh, 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 Comrade Mbegi. Not because there was a problem of us not understanding this period. The NEC felt there were specific things that President Beggy was doing that they felt we needed to take this kind of action. It was not, there was no complaint that there are two centers of powers. And <clears throat> precisely because there is no problem about it. When the, when the NEC discussed this matter, I'm one of those who were, in fact, saying we should not recall Comrade President Beggy 
because we'll be creating a bad president. If at all we're not happy, I said, let us talk to him and, uh, and work out an arrangement. How is he going to perform his duties that would not make people feel uncomfortable? Of course, <clears throat> I was defeated by the majority. And I understood that because the NEC does have uh, that, that kind of thing. And when it was done, Comrade President Beggy, uh, when he was recalled, he indeed agreed, cooperated, and, and there was no problem. And that's why I was asking, what have I done in this kind of situation? Because the system, the policy, nothing has interfered. What I even asked, what is this hurry? What are you rushing for? And then, in the process of the discussion, uh, it was clear that people are saying, Zuma must go. My problem was that it's not a new thing. It has been said the entire year, including people who are saying this 101, they're all saying so. They themselves never provided the reasons. So I found it very strange that I'm going to be told by my organization, you now must go uh, because <clears throat> we now have two new president who must come in. Mm. Not following any policy of the ANC. There's nothing of that nature. This arrangement, in fact, about a few years back, one province, Northwest, raised this matter. Why can't we discuss the aligning of the national elections and the conference of the ANC that elected the president? Nobody wanted to discuss that because it was not an issue. And the other problem, and these are the matters I've raised, the other problem I had we, when we go to the conference, there are issues, if they need constitutional amendment or whatever, that are discussed. Even if they did not go there, at the conference, these matters, if they are matters that need to be discussed, they have to be raised. And this matter did not appear on the agenda. We have a recent history that leaders should be remembering. In 2005, a president of the ANC, using his prerogative, removed the deputy president, relieved him of his duties. A problem, political problem within the ANC started then. We are still dealing with it today. When we went to Pulugwan, that was the biggest thing. For the first time, the, 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 the membership said you can't do it, precisely because he's a deputy president. It's not just a member. So that right is not the right that you can exercise anyhow. The president of the ANC is elected by national conference. You can't just say, now move there, because he's a president. So that, that, that kind of authority has to be understood how it is applied. Shortly after this one of the deputy president I'm talking about, the NEC of that time took a decision using the authority to recall President Beck because it was not happy. That decision caused more problems for the ANC, not just a conflict some of the key members of the ANC left the ANC and formed an organization called COPE because in the manner in which you remove the president is a very serious matter so can't use those kind of things I have been in the ANC for quite a while I think I understand it very well there are some of the things that may not be necessarily decisions but they are in a sense traditions but how do you handle the organization? You don't force people. You don't just come to say, because I've got authority, you must go. Hey, you know, uh, if, if comrades, you know, it's just two months from the 
the, the conference, just two months, I think we're being plunged in a crisis that I'm sure my comrades, my leaders will regret. Because some people may not like this, may feel there is something wrong. And, uh, and I'm saying because in the process of the deputy president being removed in 2005, I've been at, at part of that pro problem. I became a president while that problem was brewing. And today, <clears throat> I'm about, I'm just left with totally one month, or sorry, one year to go. And we are still trying to deal with those matters. The leadership of the ANC, if it's not careful, they might actually cause a bigger problem than we think. It's not, you don't just apply your authority in a manner that could actually cause problem to the organization. This, what I'm talking about, is not like a theoretical thing. It's what happened to us. So I, I hope they will know how to handle the organization. But I would like to perhaps to share with the broader public, um, obviously the head of state uh, and the broader public may want to know uh, uh, you, you're thinking perhaps at uh, maybe on a different platform, uh, perhaps today, tomorrow? I don't know. I am going to make a statement uh, today. Uh, I'm going to make a statement around this matter. Uh, I think it's important that I do so. Uh, perhaps away from just the interview that we have had, which I think it has been helpful so that I can narrate some of the things that are not narrated which were part of the process even for the ANC members to know how we've been discussing these matters because I've been portrayed as this person who's defying the leadership I've never defied the leadership of the ANC never in my life it will be the first time I, even at a point where I would think that this uh, instruction hmm, but I will, I will say I, I'm, I'm uh, taking it. But I said here, I don't agree with the, with the yeah. because there is no evidence, there is nothing. I've, nobody has taken me through the process of, if I've done something wrong, of the uh, 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 disciplinary processes, or to say here is an issue. You have done X, Y, Z as a result of this, or comrade, because we think, I need you to be convinced. And I say, I've said this in all the meetings. What are the reasons? Because this is not like a, a, a thing that follows, that once you have a president, then you change. No. That process, we have a president, that president comes to the headquarters, works from there, prepares the organization for elections, lead elections, becomes the leader of our elections, win elections, then becomes the president. Why cut it now? It's an important question to answer because you are doing something unusual. South African President Jacob Zuma talking to SABC's Mzwandi Lembeche. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's now time for news headlines here, Stola Natula.
Thank you, Spumalele. Making headlines, South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has accused the ruling ANC of treating him unfairly. He was speaking in the capital Pretoria in an exclusive interview with the state broadcaster, the SABC. Meanwhile, the motion of no confidence in President Zuma, the election of a new president and the State of the Nation address will all take place in the next two days. And finally, the United Nations says the first aid convoy for three months has entered a besieged Weber-held enclave in Syria on the outskirts of Damascus. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. It is 17.30 Central African time. Thank you very much for staying with Africa Digest. Thanks, Jolane, for those headlines. Now, members of the U.S. Congress are likely to discuss nuclear weapons at a hearing later today. This comes after a new policy document uh, called the Nuclear Posture Review recommended that the U.S. should expand its nuclear capabilities. The issue of nuclear weapons and uh, safety has of late made headlines in America when a false alarm warning of an imminent nuclear attack unnerved people in Hawaii. There has, of course, been continuing tension with North Korea over that country's nuclear weapons program. But if nuclear war does break out, President Trump would be taken to a safe location. The BBC's White House reporter, Tara McKelvey, explores his options. And I'll see you back in Washington. We're leaving right now for Washington and the White House. The president was speaking that day in the living room of Mar-a-Lago, his club in Florida, with music in the background that sounded like it was from a different era, a waltz maybe. Underneath the living room, there's another relic from the past, a bomb shelter from the 1950s. Back in the 1950s, when the song came out, there was a sense of foreboding, and the owner of Mar-a-Lago, an heiress named Marjorie Merriweather Post, was worried about war. Randy Sowell is an archivist at the Truman Library in Missouri, and he explains. Some people reacted with fatalism, figured there was nothing that could be done about it except just don't get into a nuclear war. Uh, Some people uh, reacted the way Mrs. Post did and started planning for... um, for building uh, fallout shelters. The bunker at Mar-a-Lago is nothing fancy. Wes Blackman worked at the club after Mr. Trump bought the place, and he spent time there. Um, it was very damp, um, had a distinct odor. Um, it would not be any place where a person of Mrs. Post or Mr. Trump's stature really would find a lot of comfort. The Mar-a-Lago bunker was one of thousands that were built during the Cold War. They were part of a civil defense program that was run by the government. Federal officials made pamphlets about nuclear war and provided instructions on how to build fallout shelters. And in this way, they helped to make the unthinkable thinkable. Mr. Sowell shows how. You ask if the work of the uh, civil defense agency uh, made it made atomic warfare more comprehensible to people and and not acceptable isn't the right word but understandable to people i think that's probably true uh... there may be even be reason to think that was the most important contribution of the uh... Of that agency Besides the bunker at Mar-a-Lago, Mr. Trump also has one at his golf course in West Palm Beach. It's under the second hole. And on a nearby island, there's another bunker. This one was built for President Kennedy. Anthony Miller used to run a museum on the island, and he took me there. And this is opening up the door. The door is rusty, but Mr. Miller is from Cornwall, and he says that's normal when you're near water. Mr. Trump's in Washington. He has a bunker right under the White House. Presidency and starting in 1948, they essentially rebuilt the mansion, the executive mansion from within, leaving the outer walls standing. And at that time, I believe they they put what was then a state-of-the-art bomb shelter down there. Another bunker was built in the basement of the Truman Library in Missouri. It was designed for Mr. Truman and for archivists. I can show you downstairs 
and the employees, in fact, were assigned special uh, tasks in the event of a nuclear war. Uh, one person was supposed to be the morale officer or whatever. Meanwhile, in Washington, officials came up with contingency plans. I, I suppose you probably have learned about the plans for uh, whisking the president away to some secret location. The secret location is in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, hidden behind trees. It's known as Doomsday City because that's where the president would hide if there was a nuclear war. I drove to a town near the place with my partner and our dog Lucy and met two students, Haley Roberts and Luke Shanahan, and they described the place. Driving up a two-lane road and it's curvy and you just kind of come up to the top of the mountain, turn around, and there's the, the fence with the barbed wire. So it's got multiple helipads. It's got... Um, a lot of cool stuff going on there. Driving up the road, we saw warning signs. One said to watch for bears. Just be alert for bears. Lucy, she's hiding under the sea. And then there's like the Klieg light in front and these big yellow metal gates. And signs which say, U.S. property, no trespassing. The bombs were powerful back then, but they weren't nearly as fearsome as the ones that Mr. Trump talks about or the ones that are described in the nuclear posture review. With these weapons around, it's hard to imagine how any bunker would last. Sarah McKelvey is with the BBC. Let us all unite and celebrate together. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. You help and party. This year, 2018, marks a hundred years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Central African time. Now, as South Africa marks the National Epilepsy Week this week, experts believe increased awareness could go a long way towards addressing the many challenges faced by people with the condition. According to the non-profit organization Epilepsy South Africa, about one in every 100 people has epilepsy in the country. Epilepsy is a chronic condition in which a person experiences recurrent seizures. Also referred to as FITS, seizures are caused by a sudden increase of excess electrical activity within the brain. Seizure signs and symptoms may include temporary confusion, a staring spell, uncontrollable jerking, movements of the arms and legs. In our weekly look at health issues, we focus attention on creating awareness about epilepsy with Candace Kandawire, a social worker at the non-profit organization Epilepsy South Africa. Epilepsy, you know, it means the tendency to have repeated seizures, okay, which basically happens, these seizures happen on the brain of someone. And as you would know that the brain is the control center of the body. If there are abnormal electrical discharges, you know, within the brain, or if there's a chemical imbalance or structural abnormality, then one is bound to have seizures. So who can get epilepsy? Epilepsy can happen to anyone at any given moment. It can happen to children, it can happen to adolescents, it can happen to the youth, it can happen to people in their adulthood or in their, you know, older age. So it can happen at any given moment, you know, across the board. And how does the condition impact on the patient's life and that of their family? For starters, when one is newly diagnosed as having epilepsy, there are certain you know, reactions depending on that particular person and uh, his level of functioning, you know, psychosocial functioning. 
you'll find that another person will, will get shattered. It's shattering, you know, when you get to know that I've got epilepsy. And some other people have indicated that it means it's the end of the world for me. I cannot do X, Y, Z, which is not the case. So what happens is that a person needs to understand, to learn more about the condition and to understand that medication is the absolute necessity. Without medication, one cannot control the frequency of seizures. And on top of that, the person needs to know that, unfortunately, it cannot be cured. It can only be controlled through medication. Now, you spoke about the importance of learning more about the condition. Let's touch on the realities of epilepsy in rural South Africa. Do you think that it's misunderstood there? Highly misunderstood, you know, in rural areas because there's a lot of superstition. There are a lot of myths around the condition. People out there still believe if someone has got, you know, seizures or epilepsy, the person has been bewitched or he has not been given an opportunity to perform a particular ritual within the family or because some negativity happened, you know, within the community. Like, for instance, a person would walk around and then if, say, there's dirty water around there, a person jumps there, people will be saying it's because you jumped this and that and that. So that's why you are having epilepsy. That's why you are having seizures. So out in the rural areas, it's very, very vital for people to get information around, you know, epilepsy. Particularly, the difficulty is their belief system. You won't believe that uh, around, you know, the urban area, I still have someone from another province in the Eastern Cape. She believes that she was bewitched, and she doesn't want to go to that area again because that's where her epilepsy started, which is not the case. It's simply a neurological condition. How then do you think the myths can be dispelled? Is it possible even? We could if we have, you know, intensive awareness campaigns, awareness programs, so that people get the correct information. And again, I think what would also assist in this regard, if we have information translated into different vernacular, yeah, local languages so that people are able to understand exactly what is taking place when we talk around epilepsy. You also touched on the fact that with medication, many people are able to largely control their symptoms. But is access to treatment a big problem in South Africa, like in many parts of the world? I would say the Department of Health is trying its utmost best you know, to make sure that people do get medication from various health facilities. It is in few instances whereby someone would go to a clinic and not find his medication. But the arrangement within the Department of Health is that should that happen, should that scenario emerge, a person would be told to come on this day when the medication is going to be available. But obviously that creates a gap. A person with epilepsy should not have a gap without any medication into his or her system. In the end, what is it that families with people who suffer from epilepsy need to know and understand about the condition? What is very critical, people with epilepsy need to be loved. They need to be cared for. They need support, you know, from their siblings, from their parents, from their neighbors, from the immediate community. They need to be accepted, you know, and recognized as normal like any other person, like any other citizen. The challenge is that within some families, you'll find that there's a lot of discrimination and abuse that is taking place, particularly for those who are fortunate to be recipients of a disability grant. They are only considered when they are reminded that tomorrow, please don't forget, we are going to the pay point. When the money is finished, no one cares for that particular person, which is an unfortunate situation. And just finally there, why is awareness such a big part of your organization? Awareness is critical, you know, for Epilepsy South Africa because a lot of people still don't have the correct information around the condition. People would treat a person with epilepsy the way they think it is appropriate, but in most cases you'll find that 
It is through ignorance. You'll find that a person having had a seizure, people would still say, bring a bucket full of cold water, let's throw it on his or her face. He will become conscious again. Or let's give him some snuff. If he sneezes, then it will go away. So education, education, education is very vital. Candace Mkandawire is a social worker at the non-profit organization Epilepsy South Africa, talking to Elizabeth Ledeja. 17.45 Central African Time, here's Wissani Matebule with your economics. Thanks, as Pumilele, and good evening. The South African render strengthened the news that the motion of no confidence will be tabled against President Jacob Zuma if he does not resign by the end of today. It rose close to a percentage point against the US dollar in early traders to 11.86 and hovered all around between 11.8682 but still staying below the 12 rand to the dollar level. This is mainly due to a weakening of the dollar against the basket of major currencies, especially the euro and the Japanese yen. Economist Isaac Matejo. I mean, what we are seeing now is uh, a stable currency. You know, it's trading in a very narrow range of between 11.80 and 12.10. And I will say that, you know, markets are eyeing next week's budget and uh, we're really, you know, concerned about the numbers that are likely to be in the budget. So I really expect a move on the rand, you know, uh, once the budget has been presented. A growing global demand for sesame seed for humus uh, toppings on sushi, health foods and confectioneries boosting output in Nigeria and spurring expansion in the world's third biggest producer. Production of the tiny seeds easily recognizable on bread rolls is expected to grow 40% in Nigeria in the 2017-2018 season. Japan with its uh, sushi culture is the leading destination of Nigerian sesame exports and other destinations include uh, China as well as Europe and North America. Africa's most populous country of more than 180 million inhabitants and the top oil producer is pushing for increased agricultural production and exports as part of uh, President Muhammadu Buhari's plan to steer the country away from dependence on hydrocarbons and oil. And South Africa's Competition Commission has referred SA Link, a privately controlled regional feeder airline, to the Competition Tribunal for prosecution on charges of excessive and predatory pricing. The complaints were about uh, the Johannesburg Tumtata route. The complainants alleged that SA Link's prices were excessive before Fly Blue Crane entered the route. It was also alleged that SA Link then lowered its prices below its costs when a fly blue crane entered the route. And it was also alleged that SA Airlink went back to their exorbitant prices after fly blue crane exited the route in January 2017. And uh, the Zambian cabinet has uh, plans to restructure the country's loans from China. The IMF says Africa's second biggest copper producer is at high risk of debt distress. Government will also source financing directly from Chinese lenders rather than through contractors in a bid to cut the cost of borrowing. Zambia's external debt grew to 7.6 billion US dollars, or 29% of the gross domestic product by the end of August last year. While 3 billion US dollars has been raised in euro bonds since 2012, the bulk of the new foreign debt is from Chinese state-owned companies and has gone to building roads, airports and power plants. Economists expect uh, South Africa's unemployment rate to remain stubbornly high despite some improvements recorded in the third quarter of last year. Statistics South Africa reported a marginal decrease in the unemployment rate from 27.7% to 26.7%. Economist at NetBank, uh, Johannes Corsa, explains. However, that drop is due to technical uh, reasons rather than a reflection of uh, improvement in the job market. I mean, if you check between the third and fourth quarter, we have recorded a decline in employment, particularly in the uh, formal sector, which dropped by uh, around 135,000 jobs. And, um, yeah, we also seen an, a, an increase in the number of discouraged workers, 
So uh, that is due to technical reasons rather than a reflection in uh, improvement in the job market. Financial indicators, the dollar at 11.493, South African rands at 9.45, Botswana Pula at 9.7, Zambian Kwacha also trading at 72 pence to the British pound and 81 cents against the euro. Commodities, gold at $1,335, platinum at $980 per finance, brand crude oil at $62.80 per barrel. And that's your economics news right now. Thank you very much, Usani. It is 17.50. Here is Musibuni Makura. Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with cricket news, India's first ever one-day international series victory in South Africa has laid a strong platform for the country's hopes for a successful 2019 World Cup campaign. This according to captain Virat Kohli. Success in the series has lifted India above South Africa in the International Cricket Council's one-day rankings, and they retained their number one status tests as well as despite losing 2-1 to the South Africans last month. Meanwhile, the last match of the ODI series takes place in Pretoria at the Supersport Park on Friday. At the same time, South African pace bowler Gachi Sorabada has been fined after a demonstrative send-off for one of his victims in Tuesday's one-day international loss to India in Port Elizabeth. The fast bowler was fined 15% of his match fee and received one demerit point for his behavior when he waved a departing batsman Shaka Darwin, pointing his way back to the change room and seemingly to, um, and looking rather that he's, um, he was about to sway after the Indian opener was caught in the deep off um, Rabada's bowling. He was charged by the match officials for using language and gestures that could have provoked an aggressive reaction from the batsman. Rabada has a, now has a five demerit, uh, demerit points on his disciplinary record. He was suspended last year when he re, uh, reached four points and was barred from playing in the second test on the tour of England. If he receives the next threshold of eight points within the next two years, he will be suspended again but this time for two tests or one test and two ODIs or four ODIs and T20s depending on which one comes first. On to football news, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp says his side needs a positive result against Porto in tonight's Champions League last 16 clash if they are to make the most of the home advantage when the two teams meet at Anfield for the second leg. Liverpool have not lost to Porto in four previous meetings, winning two games at home and drawing twice away while scoring seven goals. But Klopp says his team's quest to take something back for next month's return leg will not be easy. Or four four one one, eh? crazy. Yeah, but that's football. If, if you watch us, we don't play always the same system. Eh? <laughs> so maybe we can surprise each other. So it's the system never will win the game. By the way, um, it's all about the players and what they do in the, um, the about their decision making and doing the right thing in the right moment. Throwing your heart on the pitch if you want, give everything you have. All that that's football and not this. Not about system. System are important, very important, but only to bring the players in their best position. Meanwhile, in another mouth, uh, mouth-watering match taking place tonight, Real Madrid taking Paris Saint-Germain and the Santiago Bernabeu. And finally, in local football news, Polokwane City have announced that the memorial service of the late Mohao Sesa will be held on Thursday afternoon. His funeral will be on Friday. The 26-year-old lost his life on Sunday night after his car rolled in a car accident. SABC Sports Litabo Khanyaho has more details. City's media officer Vusim Timani says the technical team, including head coach Bernard Molekwa and chairman Joni Moraladi, are already in Mpumalanga with the players' family. The rest of the team is expected in Whitbank tomorrow. In a written response to SABC Sports' request for a comment on the said occasion, 
Rising Shrine's chairman, Mohaladi, conveyed a message of condolences to Tetla's family with special reference to his mother and siblings. Mohaladi noted with sadness in his statement that the player was just starting to command his place in the team when he met his death. The chairman added that it is City's tradition to support one another, especially during dark times. Lazai Sports News at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Let's talk about top stories. It seems a foregone conclusion that South Africa's president will be removed through parliamentary processes. Members of US Congress are likely to discuss nuclear weapons at a hearing later today. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumele Lezondi, producer Luanda Mawame, technical producer Adrian Kenny, and the rest of the team, thank you very much for joining us. You can send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za, on SMS, we're on plus 27823325905. On Twitter, we are on Channel Africa One. We leave you with Naninina by Vosinova. Ndikumbula amakesha kutala Usekone mshabe niwena Ndikumbuli mfundi sozako Ndipelu kubonga mama Kalogutata Wasishia kutala Ibi intando yako bao Umama wazama Nakogonge manje Latela figela kipesha Dingatani Savazali Bam Nanina Pao Jacquel Gosia Dingatani Savazali Bam Nanina Pao Con que digo ensayo y mis amores
Oh, oh. 